So do you, uh, do you ever feel like you're always in a rush? Anybody feel like, yeah, I do, right? So the feeling usually starts Monday morning uh, when Vicky and I are getting the kids off to school and, and then before you know it, it, it's time to turn around and go back and pick them up again. Uh, and then equally as, as quickly, the rest of the, the week kind of flies by until we end up right back here Sunday morning. Uh, where the only way that I make it into the pulpit anywhere close to being on time is because my son uh, hustles me along with a polite but persistent countdown on what time it is. <laughs> Daddy, you've got five minutes left. Daddy, you've got three minutes left. <laughs> yeah, thank you for JJ. <laughs> uh, it actually kind of reminded me of a, a story I read of a, a little boy who was all dressed up in his Sunday best, uh, who was running as, as fast as he could trying not to be late for church. And he prayed as he ran, Dear Lord, please don't let me be late. Dear Lord, please don't let me be late. But, but while he was running and, and praying, he tripped on a curb and, and fell and uh, got his Sunday clothes all dirty and skinned his knee, but got up and brushed himself off and started running again. But this time he amended his prayer uh, to pray, Dear Lord, please don't let me be late, but please don't shove me anymore either. <laughs> Did you, ever, did you ever experience that, like the, those times when we feel like the whole universe around us is just pushing us to go faster and, and faster and faster through this life, when in reality the God of the universe is often telling us exactly the opposite? Well, that's the, the, one of the themes of our main theme, actually, for the text today in Psalm 46, a psalm that's been the source of peace and consolation and rest to the people of God from the glory days of the Davidic kingdom through uh, the storms of the Protestant Reformation and down to us in the tumult that we find ourselves in in our 21st century. So if you're following along, we're going to be reading Psalm 46, which is superscribed to the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. And Psalmist writes, God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns, the nations rage, kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Amen. You know, it's been said by uh, several Christian authors, actually too many to trace the originator of the line that hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life. 
Hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life. In fact, one author went on to say, for many of us, the great danger is not that we'll renounce our faith, but that we'll become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we'll settle for a mediocre version of it. Another writer described this condition, especially when it comes to American Christians, as hurry sickness. He says, we want our pizza delivered in 30 minutes or less. We line up at fast food restaurants during lunch hour, not because the food is good, but because it's quick. He said, we're addicted to devices that promise higher efficiency and give us more and more time. And yet study after study shows that the more that we use those things, the less time we actually have for the most valuable things in life. Because all of our efforts to get more done in less time haven't produced what we've been promised, have they? It never happens. The net result of which leaves us living in a culture of stress and worry and anxiety. In fact, according to a National Institute of Mental Health study, some 40 million Americans, that would be nearly one in seven of us, are suffering from some kind of anxiety disorder right now, which at any given time is uh, accounting for up to 31% of the expenditures that we put out on health care in the United States. And, you know, we, we as Christians aren't immune to that. Certainly not immune uh, in the midst of this world full of hurry and rushing around and And God has a specific message for his people, a message that rumbles through the pages of both the Old and the New Testament, but maybe has one of its most thunderously clear expressions in Psalm 4610, when he says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Now, that's not always easy to do, is it? Now, we know from biblical history that Psalm 46 Uh, was likely penned on the occasion of one of King David's uh, military victories over Israel's pagan neighbors, uh, particularly the ones recounted in 2 Samuel chapter 8. Victories over the combined forces of Moab and Ammon and Edom, uh, and the ones that talk about all of these powerful enemies that are arrayed against the people of God, but how the Lord delivered them and protected them and sheltered them. Uh, And in the words of 2 Samuel 8, made David victorious wherever he went. And so when we come to this psalm today, it's important to remember its context was shaped by a nation's deliverance from a massive enemy, from a a mighty host. Uh, When it talks about in verse 1 of God being an ever-present help in trouble, uh, when it tells us in verses 7 and 11 that the God of Jacob is our fortress, uh, or verse 9 that he makes wars to cease, that he breaks the the bow and shatters the spear, burns the shields with fire. And so the psalmist uh, is a firsthand witness to war and to its hardships and adversities, to its cost in human life. And yet, into all of that stark reality, the psalmist intends to depict the greatness of our God and the wideness of his mercy as a stronghold and a refuge for people in times of conflict, and in times of worry, and in times of anxiety, and in stress. Uh, And actually, it's for that same reason that Psalm 46 resonated so much with the great reformer Martin Luther. Uh, Because despite the fact that uh, Luther was a man of almost unrivaled intellect and unparalleled faith, it might surprise you to know uh, he was a frequent sufferer of profound bouts of depression. Did you guys know that about Luther? 
And, you know, whether we admit it out loud or not, the truth is that depression of some kind or other will darken the door of most people's lives. And, you know, it's that kind of emotional fog that stubbornly clouds our hopes about the future and about the, the helpfulness of God and of His Word. For some people, it lasts a couple of hours. For some people, it lasts a couple of months. For some people, it lasts on and on maybe more than a couple of years. And in some cases, it's, it's brought on by a traumatic experience or maybe by the fallout of a broken relationship. But, you know, for some folks, it might be less traceable than that. Some folks, it's even more difficult to explain even to the person it's happening to why they seem to be going through a time of depression. Uh, in those cases where it's more uh, biological or chemical and requires a doctor's attention, but, you know, lots of other times are just part of living in a broken and fallen world. But the message of our psalm today is that, thank God, thank God for Christians, we have someplace safe to turn. Just like Martin Luther did in the summer of 1527. Actually, 400 and 492 years ago this year, this summer, because uh, it was a pretty dark time in the Luther household. Uh, he writes during that time, it was the first uh, recorded incident of him suffering with a kidney stone. And for those of you that I know that have suffered with kidney stones, they're no fun, are they? And who, who's had them in here? Yeah. Well, when Luther wrote about it, that was the bright spot of his whole year. Okay? The kidney stone was the bright spot of that whole year of 1527 because before that summer ended, the Black Plague began, arriving in Luther's hometown of Wittenberg on the 2nd of August. By the 19th of August, there were 18 people that had already died from it, uh, including the wife of the city mayor who died almost in Luther's arms. His own wife, Katie, who was pregnant at the time, turned the family home into a makeshift hospital. And their little son, Hans, began to feel so unwell that he refused to eat for three days straight uh, and left the family fearing that he was going to be the next one to die. And yet, remarkably, it was during that same year, during 1527, the year possibly of Luther's greatest depression and supreme struggle that he penned, the words of that great Reformation hymn, An Festeberg is unser Gott, a mighty fortress is our God. A mighty fortress is our God. He, and he drew it, uh, the lines from it, from the wonderful language of Psalm 46, crafting it into a hymn of faith that was meant to ring from uh, the rafters of the church there in Wittenberg uh, and around the whole world until the message of God's love and compassion in Jesus Christ wrecked through the very gates of hell itself. I know most of you are familiar with the lyrics, but the one section of it goes like this. He, he writes, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. One little word. And just in case you're wondering what that little word is, listen, amen. Well, that's, yeah, the word, right? The word of God. But listen to what Luther wrote uh, to a friend that same year. He said, our one great comfort that we can stand against the rage of the devil is this, that we have the word of God which saves souls even as our bodies are brought asunder. 
Right? We have that one great promise that we have the word of God that no matter what's happening to us on the inside, that God is our fortress. And, and he says the actual word of God, the actual words of the Bible that were penned and preserved and superintended by the anointing of God, the Holy Spirit, that have the ability to be our refuge and to bring strength and to completely change and transform you and I if, if we're willing to wrestle with the divine truths that are contained in those sacred pages. But you know what? We have to be still long enough to do that. We've got to be still long enough to do that. Long enough to meditate on the Word so we can find out what their true meaning is and how all of those divine truths together can apply to our daily lives. But you know, the sad truth is that sacred meditation isn't something that churches teach or that believers practice very much anymore. It just doesn't happen. Now, part of that could be, as I wrote in that little section in your bulletin, that the word meditation can carry with it uh, connotations of something new age and, and mystical or maybe of controlled breathing and, and yoga positions, although I don't think I'm flexible enough to get into any of those yoga positions. Uh, I wouldn't want to even if I could. But, you know, those involve like the clearing of the mind and the opening yourself up to these supernatural elements around us. But true... Christian biblical meditation isn't any of those things. Now, meditating on Scripture isn't about emptying your mind, but rather filling it. It's about filling it with the Word of God and doing it actively and intentionally, uh, which admittedly is a lot easier to say than to do, right? Because no matter who you are, the act of being still and getting quiet doesn't happen by accident, especially in a culture like ours that's has got us constantly bombarded with robocalls, right? I'm ready to disconnect our phone at home, right? And unlimited broadband and 24-hour news cycle and on-demand entertainment. And it just gets easier and easier to, to fill every hour of our day with mind-numbing television viewing or, or internet surfing or reading popular magazines. And none of those things are bad by themselves, but I'll tell you the truth. Over time, if left unchecked, they kind of crowd the truth of God's word out of our minds and fill it instead with the trash of the transient and the trivial things that are going on in the world around us. And, you know, that's just the stuff that comes from the outside world that we battle with. But along with all of that comes those fearful and anxious and unbidden negative thoughts that we hold on to during the day. Anybody ever have negative thoughts? It's been stated that humans have upwards of 50,000 thoughts a day. And those thoughts aren't always pretty. Right? You know the ones, right? The ones where you tell yourself, I can't believe how I messed that up. Uh, or, or I can't believe I just said that. Uh, or I can't see how I'll face tomorrow. Uh, and on and on until you can barely concentrate on the things that are right in front of you, let alone quiet your mind and shut off the flow of those negative thoughts. Or worse yet, if those two things weren't obstacles enough, how about shutting out the accusations of the enemy that seeks to draw our attention away from the goodness and the faithfulness and the love of God? Because we have an enemy and he's out to distract us. And in fact, Luther is, is helpful here again because another letter uh, he wrote in that year 1527, he says, and I think this is very helpful for folks that ever feel depressed. He said, for more than a week I was close to the gates of death and hell. He said, I trembled in all of my members, and I was shaken by desperation. And when I go to bed, he writes, when I go to bed, the devil is always waiting for me. 
Did you ever feel like that? You know, just like you're so exhausted from the stuff of the day and you, you can't wait for it to be over so you can crawl under the covers, but as soon as you do, all the aches uh, and pains and fears and worries creep right out. And I think that happens more and more as we get older. But I'm going to give you some practical advice you can use tonight if that happens. Okay? This is a, an article that I read in uh, WebMD by a lady named Susan Davis. And she writes, uh, can't sleep? Get out of bed. This is what she says. She says, so you wake up in the middle of the night, you can't sleep, whether you drank one cup of coffee too many or you've got a, a lot on your mind, it's time to decide whether to get up or stay in bed. And what you do now in these wee hours will affect how the rest of the night goes and could make all the difference in how you feel tomorrow. She says, tossing and turning endlessly isn't going to help. Uh, if you're still awake, she says, after what feels like 10 minutes, it's time to get up for a little while. Because at that point, trying to make yourself fall back to sleep is counterproductive. And she says, the harder you try, the more elusive sleep gets. So here's her advice. She says, get up and do something that she calls engaging but sedate until you're sleepy enough to go back to bed. Engaging but sedate. And when I read that, to me that sounded like the perfect opportunity to meditate on God's word. Right? So get up. Do something engaging but sedate. When the, the house is quiet, when no one else needs your attention, uh, when the phone isn't going to ring and the front door isn't going to knock, and spend that time in God's Word. Now, you might be saying, well, yeah, I, I can do that. That's true. Uh, there's no distractions. But uh, what about all of those negative thoughts and emotions and that conscience that I'm battling with? And you're, you're right. But I'm going to jump back into that letter of Luther's real quickly about the devil's nighttime torments for a minute here. Uh, he continues, he writes... When Satan began to plague me at night, I give him this answer. He says, devil, I must sleep. That's God's command. Work by day, sleep by night, so go away. If that doesn't work and he brings out a catalog of my sins, I say, well, yes, old fellow, I know about those. And I know about some you've overlooked, so take a moment and mark these extra ones down. And if he still won't quit, if he still won't quit and presses me and accuses me more I scorn him and say, well, then pray for me if such is your concern. In other words, he says to the devil, if you're so worried about reminding me of all of these sins, why don't you go pray for me? Right? If you, and he, say, he finishes by saying, if you want to get me all straightened out, go to God yourself first and make yourself right. I say to you, physician, heal thyself. Right? So do you see how Luther used scripture to battle uh, doubt and battle the devil? And he could do that because his mind and his heart and his soul were completely soaked through with the scriptures. But you know, that doesn't happen in an instant either. Kind of like a really good glass of iced tea. Right? Now those of you that come to the Sunday school or, or Wednesday night Bible study, uh, she's nodding her head over there. It was pretty common to see me with a cup or a glass uh, or, or even a thermos full of iced tea right, along with me. And at least for me, uh, there's no shortcut to it. Right? It can't be just one of those... Uh, quick spoonfuls of that iced tea mix, you know, in water. I don't want that. Or, or a fast splash of the tea bag under the hot water. No, it's, it's got to have time to steep. It's got to be the real thing. And that's a great analogy for how we take in Scripture. Because you see, hearing God's Word is like just one dip of the tea bag into the cup. Right? So some of the tea flavor is absorbed but the, by the water, but not as much as, as there would be if it's soaked longer. 
And then there's reading Scripture. Right? That's like dunking the tea bag into the cup repeatedly, and, and the more frequently the tea enters the water, the more permeating its effect. But meditating, meditating, though, is like completely immersing that tea bag in water and letting it steep until all of the, the rich tea flavor is extracted and, and that hot water is thoroughly colored from the leaves. See, that's how we need to be saturated with Scripture until it's, it's literally brewed into our brains. And, and Psalm 46 is a good place to start because in it we are assured that God is a refuge and the strength of His people. And not just for the people of ancient Israel. And not just for the men and women of the Protestant Reformation, but for you and I today, no matter what foes or what frailties we're facing, because God is an ever-present help even when our bodies fail us. God is a mighty fortress even when our faith is attacked by swords of doubt or spears of misfortune. God is our solid rock when the, the quicksand of all of our human questions want to pull us under. And God is our strength even when we don't think we have enough strength to make it through another day because, brothers and sisters, God is with us. But will you be still long enough to notice? God is with us. But will you be still and know that He is God? Will you focus your mind and your life on God's Word and trust Him? Like, really trust Him. And if you do, the Bible promises that we will not fear, though the earth give way, Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, because there's a river, a river whose streams make glad the city of God. That same peaceful, restful river the Bible tells us about in Ephesians 5 that says, as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her, having washed her and cleansed her by the washing of water with the word with God's written word, the word that washes us clean down deep inside our souls and, and purifies our thoughts and scrubs our motives and cleanses our conscience as we absorb it and obey it and submit to its gentle and persistent flow that leads us right back to where we started this morning with the promise of a way out of the hurry and the chaos that the restless waves of this world throw at us and into the peace and the rest that can only be found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ who bids all of us to come and to be still and to know that he is God. Amen.